Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to a very special live edition of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by UConn blog editors Dan Madigan and Dan Connolly. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We're here to talk UConn hoops uh, as they get ready for their first game at Bubbleville in Mohegan Sun against USC on Thursday night. The Huskies opened the season with a couple of games against in-state opponents. We saw them beat Central Connecticut State, 102-75, and Hartford, a little bit closer, 69-57. First time seeing a lot of new Huskies and uh, also some old Huskies in new roles. Madigan, what were your thoughts after the first two games of action? I think the most important thing to take away from those first two games is that the first half of the Central game doesn't matter. It's not worth taking any sort of info out of that first half. It was very clearly rust from the longer layoff, the longer offseason due to COVID, and the team not practicing for really 14 days. They've only had, I think, five or six full practices in since uh, the positive COVID tests in early November. So I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. Uh, Central, clearly a bad team. Uh, UConn ended up rolling them. That's the most important part. I was really impressed with how James Booknight came out. We didn't always see that last year. He was super aggressive at the start. Uh, very clearly the best player on the floor, but he looked that way for the entire time that he was out there. Uh, so it's good to see him kind of take control more in the Central game than against Uhart. But take control, be the alpha dog of the offense, and score at will. He was so much better than everyone else, and there was no doubt about it. Uh, I was also really impressed with the freshman Adama Sinogo. Uh, even though the central bigs weren't anything to write home about, I thought he did a really good job against some more talented U-Heart bigs, which had a little bit more size, a little bit more skill. Um, he did get into a little foul trouble, but a lot of those were kind of ticky-tack borderline fouls. I, I don't know if those are always going to get called. Um, he showed some real skill with his right and left hand on offense, and I really like the energy that he brought on defense and on the board. So I think he's a real piece, and I think he's going to offer a different type of energy when he comes in instead of Isaiah Whaley. Whaley's a lot bouncier, a lot more athletic, uh, even higher energy, but Sonogo can really be that kind of big bruiser Jeff Adrian type that, you know, you really need when you're playing big East conference games. So Overall, I was pretty impressed. I'm excited to see how the team looks against USC, which is much stiffer competition and some legit big men in the Mobley brothers. But overall, pretty satisfied with how the team played so far. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned with either performance and the aesthetics of it, because as you said, Manigan, they didn't have a ton of time to practice before. And when you're off the court and you're not playing very much and you don't have any exhibition games, then those first two games of the season, they were pretty much exhibition games because we knew UConn had no chance to lose to either Central or Hartford. Even when Hartford was making a run in the second half, I don't think even the most cynical UConn fans were overly nervous about it. Just you knew they were going to come away with that game. They were just so much more talented that their talent was going to bring them past. So I think the important thing is you get through those games with no injuries. You get a look at some of the new guys. You can get real games under your belt because obviously a real game is different than practice, even a scrimmage with officials like they had beforehand. So I think a guy that I was pleasantly surprised by was Isaiah Whaley, just because he finished the year so well. I wasn't super sure if that was just going to be a flash in the pan or if he was going to be able to take that performance last year and build on it. And at least through two games, I thought that he's built on that performance. And 
in my opinion, he's the best big that we have on this team right now because I think Sonogo did look really good, but in the end, he's still a freshman, and I don't know how much you want to be relying on a freshman, especially a big. And then Josh Carlton barely played in both games, so I don't really know what the situation is with him or why he isn't playing a whole lot, but Isaiah Whaley, I think, is pretty clearly the go-to big down low, and I think that's both just because of the people that are on the team at the moment and the way they're playing, but also that's due to Isaiah's performance and just the way he's looked so far. So I was very pleasantly surprised about him. On the other side, Andre Jackson, he was kind of billed as a guy, Hurley even said it, that is going to come in and have the same impact as a freshman as Booknight. And if I'll be honest, two games shouldn't be an indication of what he's going to do all year, but through two games, I'm really not sure where Andre Jackson's going to contribute on this team. He's obviously very athletic. His dunk highlight reel is incredible, but he looked very nervous in that first game, which is understandable. So I'll, I'll give him a pass there, but he just doesn't really look comfortable on the court. And I don't know where he's going to contribute. If it's going to be rebounding defense, just being a spark plug, it's hard for me to tell at this point, and I don't think you want to be questioning how your top recruit is going to be contributing to the team, because I think even the best players are going to find ways to help your team no matter what, and I didn't really see that through Jackson through two games, whereas we saw it from Sonogo. We knew that Javante Brown was going to be a project coming in. Richie Springs is a redshirt freshman, also kind of a more project big. We didn't get a great look at him, so... I was expecting more out of Andre Jackson, even though I wasn't expecting him to be a clone of Book Knight. So I was a little underwhelmed by him, and hopefully it's just freshman jitters. And once he gets a few more practices under his belt and the lights are brighter and he just kind of settles in more, that we'll see more of an impact from him. Yeah, I, I would say certainly a high possibility that that it's just a freshman jitters. And when it comes to the team, like you guys said, if if you don't have the preseason, if you don't have exhibition play, especially with so many new guys trying to uh, mesh together and figure things out, um, it's going to be tough. I think with Jackson in this case right now, there's also just so many people vying for that playing time that it might be tough for him to break through, which is certainly relevant. Um, you know, Connolly, I think you're underrating the cynicism of UConn fans a little bit, though. Uh, we were definitely seeing angry tweets early in the CCSU game uh, before UConn pulled away. Um, so UConn fans will, will always have that uh, going for them. I think overall, right, you have to be so pleased with just the way they, they looked, given all of those circumstances that we just discussed. Uh, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of talent on this team. There's depth. There are people who it seems like you can count on. RJ Cole uh, looks like he's going to be a difference maker, just eligible this year after transferring from Howard. Someone who, um, you know, I think UConn has lacked assertiveness on the scoring end. And so, like you said, Madigan, great to see Booknight demonstrating it and to have another guy. Um, for me, the, the older guys as well, Whaley and Polly, deserve uh, a tip of the hat for the way they look. Um, guys that can be really consistent contributors. Uh, same for another transfer in, in Tyrese Martin. And then Sonogo, I mean, yeah, he looks like the kind of big man, that, that old school Yukon Big East big man, which is <laughs> really freaking exciting. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the big men and how that's going to shape up. But 
something that is really important for UConn this year is to get the rotation right. And again, the lack of preparation, the lack of practices and exhibition games, um, I think is something that is really affecting, going to affect this UConn team such that we need to curb expectations uh, before Big East play as they start to play better teams. But um, the rotation is going to be tight. Um, a lot of teams in the Big East are smaller anyway. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of guards, um, but I don't know who do you, and, and, and also we've got um, a cook, a cook coming back from injury. So how do we think the, the lineup is going to shake out in terms of who are those starters and then first few guys off the bench? So I think a cook, a cook when he's healthy and once he's back and ready, he's going to either slide into the starting lineup or be that first guy off the bench. We saw the defensive presence that he brought last year. And if he makes even a minor leap or stays the same on offense, he's still extremely valuable to this team just from his, his length and athleticism alone. He got shut down as of today, uh, the day before the USC game, due to a slight hamstring tweak, but uh, shouldn't derail his timeline too, too much, maybe push things out a few days or so. But he should come back around conference play. I think, you know, people have said like late December, January, around that time frame. That'll be a big deal. Um, as for Jackson, Connolly, I know you're, uh, you might be selling your Jackson stock. I'm still buying it up, even though I wasn't that high on him uh, when he came in. Not because he's not a good player. He's going to be a tremendous asset. He's you know, a top 50 recruit. But the big knock on him was his shooting ability. And we've seen glimpses of why that was an issue or why scouts thought that was an issue in the first two games. Um, but Hurley was really excited about the way that he played defense against Central. He was really the only player that Hurley mentioned by name that played really high quality defense end to end. And I think that's something to keep an eye on too. Even if Jackson can play a few minutes a game, 10 to 12 minutes a game early on and provide really quality defense, guard multiple positions, rebound, and then run the floor, we know he's good in transition, right? We've seen those dunks. We've seen his ability to handle the ball a little bit. Um, I think that's an asset too. I was also really impressed with Tyrese Martin. Um, his numbers last year, or even in his career at URI, aren't necessarily eye-popping, but he's a great rebounder as a guard. He's, he's around 6'6", I believe. He can guard multiple positions. He doesn't necessarily need to be a ball handler like RJ Cole or Jalen Gaffney, but he can still call his own number and score occasionally. So, um, Dan, I don't want to steal your comp, but I know you, you brought up Lasan Chroma. I think he's a, he's a poor man's Lasan Chroma. He's maybe not as well-rounded. I don't think he can hit the three ball as well, but it's still something that this team needs. Um, as for Brendan Adams, I was a little disappointed with his shot selection. I think he might be one of the guards that we see getting phased out early on. Uh, he can certainly score. I think he had 15 points. He hit three or four threes against Central, but there was a lot of questionable shots, some long twos early on, and he's not somebody that should really be taking eight to 10 shots a game when there's guys like RJ Cole, Book Knight, Tyler Polly available, especially from three. Um, I think he can still bring a lot of energy off the bench and there's going to be times where Jackson or Martin are banged up and, and Brendan Adams can certainly slip in and contribute. But I think he's probably the guy that is going to be phased out the most, at least in the backcourt. I'm actually going to take the flip side of that. I really like what Brendan Adams brings off the bench. I think he's just a very well-rounded player. I don't think he does anything really well. I don't think he does 
anything poorly. He's a solid defender. He's a solid rebounder. He can score when you need him to. So I think he's a really good guy that you're going to want to keep on the bench. I don't think if he's starting, things probably aren't going well, but I think the starting lineup this year is just going to be really fluid. I think you put book night in there and then the other four spots are pretty much open. RJ Cole's probably going to stick in there and be a consistent presence. I would be surprised if Tyler Polly comes off the bench very much. Even Isaiah Whaley, I think is probably going to stick in there, but I think what you're going to see is a cook's going to come back. And I'd be very surprised if by the end of the year, a cook's not in the starting lineup, just because we saw how good he was last year. And there's the clip of Kamani young during a timeout where a cook's coming off the floor and Kamani young is screaming at him that he is the best player on the court. and No one can stop him. And that's the cook that I think we're going to see when he gets back to full health. So once that happens, there's no way he's not going to be in the starting lineup. So with that, I think him and Whaley can both be on the court at the same time because they definitely bring a different skill set. Polly, just with his veteran leadership and shooting ability, I don't see going on the bench. Book Knight, obviously the team's best player. I'd expect RJ Cole to hang on to that point guard job, but I also like Jalen Gaffney's game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he takes over the point guard role or the starting job, but he's also a nice piece to bring off the bench. And yeah, Tyrese Martin, I think is just a really good glue guy off the bench does all the dirty work on the court. He's never going to wow you with his stats. He's never going to make a sports center top 10 play, but he's going to do things that help win you games. And that's really important on this type type of team that UConn has. The front court, I'm a little less confident about the front court depth than I was at the beginning of the year, just because I don't really know where Josh Carlton is with only playing three minutes through those first two games. I don't think Javante Brown's going to factor in a whole lot. Same with Richie Springs. I was very disappointed that Springs really didn't get a whole lot of time early, especially against two bad teams. So I think it's going to be a lot of Isaiah Whaley, and I think they're really going to rely on a cook when he comes back and Adama Sanogo too. So I think they're not as deep as I would have guessed that they would be at the start of the season. But at the same time, we're two games in, two very, very raw exhibition type games in. So maybe making sweeping statements like that isn't the way to go. And from what we've seen in Hurley's first two years is that players develop pretty significantly from the start of the year to the end of the year. So even if guys aren't playing a whole lot right now, like Isaiah Whaley last year, I still think they could factor into the rotation for the time being, but at least right now, I don't think this team has as much depth as we thought they would in the preseason. Yeah, I think the benefit for UConn this year is to use a term that football coaches like to overuse. They'll be able to be really multiple, right? They can have different types of lineups out there. And like you said, if they want to go a certain way, they could put Cole, Gaffney, Booknight, and, uh, Holly and Whaley in there, right? And that's a like dynamic uh, skill lineup. They can also go big and strong. I know Carlton is, um, we're not sure what the situation with him is at the moment, but I think they still, especially if a cook is back, we're talking, you know, imagine a cook and Sonogo in there and we're, we're, we're back to the beasts of the big East, uh, which, which would be incredible. So I think the, the really good thing is just um, they've got a lot of different pieces that, that, that can work together. Um, again, their ability to optimize it, I'm, I am concerned about because of the lack of reps, because of the lack of games and the lack of practice. But um, ultimately, end of the day, have to be really enthused by what we've seen so far and excited uh, 
especially as the competition will start to rise, especially going into the start of the Big East slate. So the Huskies will tip off at 7 p.m. on ESPN against USC. Um, Madigan, what are your thoughts on this USC team? Clearly an upgrade in terms of competition. What do we know about them? Yeah, they're, they're definitely not Central Connecticut or UHart. Uh, they're fresh off a dismantling of a pretty good BYU team. They won 79-53 on Tuesday in Bubbleville at Mohegan. Uh, they kind of rely upon two brothers, the Mobley brothers, freshman Evan, one of the best freshmen in the country, probably a consensus lottery pick, maybe even a top 10, top 7 pick. Uh, good athlete, 7-footer, good shot blocker, can step out and shoot the three a little bit. He, he's made two of his three attempts this year but they've only played three games. So um, he's going to be a big problem for this UConn team, especially without a cook, a cook. This is someone that a cook, a cook would usually try and handle. Obviously there's, there's bodies between Isaiah Whaley, Adama Sinogo. Maybe we'll see a little more Josh Carlton, or maybe even some Javante Brown Ferguson for stretches, just because he's probably the biggest guy on the roster. Um, But I'm a little worried about how UConn's going to match up with Mobley, especially with his brother, Isaiah, who's also around seven feet. He comes in at 6'10", very similar profile, pretty good offensive rebounder, um, not as good on the offensive end scoring-wise, but still a skilled, talented big. Um, and that's a really big front court for UConn that I can't really recall UConn going up against a team like that in recent memory. It's rare that you see a college team with that much size and skill, um, you know, kind of like the Lopez brothers from the Stanford teams in like the early 2010s. Um, so it'll be interesting. And they also have a talented guard in, in Taj Edi, a, uh, a West Haven kid uh, who's a senior and, and a talented scorer. So it's going to be a real challenge. I think in the backcourt, UConn can match up with them. I, they have the horses. Uh, James Booknight is going to keep UConn in a lot of these games just with his own. But I'm excited to see how the front court reacts to this legit NBA size and talent. Uh, and to see how RJ Cole plays against some strong competition. We're not playing against the schools in the MEAC anymore or against CCSU or UHart. And Cole's certainly talented enough to compete against these high major schools like USC. But it'll be interesting to see how he does in his first real taste of high quality Division I oppositions. Yeah, you hit a man again. I don't think the result of this game is really of huge importance just because of they still really haven't had a huge preseason and a ton of time to be together. So I'm mostly just looking for how UConn stacks up right now to a team of this level, how some of the more go-to players on UConn do with the brighter lights against a better opponent and where they stack up nationally, because obviously James Booknight has been getting mentioned as a potential All-American this year. So of course, he's going to look really, really good against Uhart and Central, but how does he look against a much better team in USC? So I think it's just a really good opportunity for a measuring stick because I think this year, especially more than other years, you can't really take the beginning of the season as a great indicator of where teams are and where teams are going to be by the end of the season. So this would be a very good win if UConn can pull it off, but if they lose, I don't think it's the end of the world or it's any indictment on the job Hurley's doing. I think it's just going to be a product of how the preseason's gone and having so many new players and still trying to find an identity. So it'll just be good to see where this team stacks up at the moment and where they need to continue building going forward. Yeah, I agree. We can't ever read too much or well in this situation, we can't read too much into the win loss result. 
Um, certainly we want to see them play competitively, keep their composure, look like they belong, I think, to kind of summarize some of what you guys said. Also, they need to stay out of foul trouble really clearly. That was something that killed them against Hartford. It seemed like everyone was uh, deep into foul trouble towards the end of that game. Of course, they need to keep that in check because uh, it can be really detrimental, especially against bigger teams. I was going to say, Matt, again, in terms of the teams that had that size, it reminds me of Florida State a couple of years ago. We played them in, uh, in Providence. That's a good one. Had like two seven-footers. That was a tough matchup. That was a different UConn team, hopefully. Um, but I think that front court matchup is going to be key. I mean, UConn, we don't know about Josh Carlton. We do not have a cook. A cook. Um, so who are we depending on there? Who's going who's gonna to be able to handle multiple really large dudes down there? Um, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for UConn. I don't want to make predictions or anything like that, but um, I think it'll be a wake-up call for UConn, especially given the preparation phase aspect. Um, if you listen to Dan Hurley's comments from his recent pregame media availability, he has been working them very hard in practice. Uh, I think it was also clear from his postgame comments how disappointed he was in the effort uh, really across both games. And he said, even after we watched the film, there was even more that we disliked. So I think he's, he's working them really, really hard. Um, they've been in this situation kind of where they're not even sure if, when they're playing. Um, so there's always kind of that aspect of it too, but um, this is going to be a, a really tough game for UConn Thursday night. I, I, um, not super optimistic about a win here. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it should be pretty interesting. I was looking at Ken Palm, and you have to take this with a grain of salt, especially early in the season, and even more so in this crazy COVID year of 2020. So USC's ranked 45th in Ken Palm, and UConn's ranked 52nd right now. And there's some stuff that goes into this. It, Ken Palm's still relying on some, some numbers from last year, so it's not totally accurate. But this Ken Palm predicts this game to be really close. They have, they have USC winning 72 to 71. 52% chance of winning. Um, that kind of sounds right. It really could be a coin flip. I think USC has a major advantage in the front court, and I think UConn has a pretty solid advantage in the back court. So it's just going to really come down to which unit is stronger in Mohegan Sun. Um, you know, UConn is traveling to the bubble, um, but they're only going 30 minutes down the road. Uh, whereas USC, they've been here for a few days, but they did have to come from across the country. So there, there's some, some interesting stuff that goes into it. It's a little early in the year. USC does have that extra game under their belt. They're 3-0. and um, But, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And I think the lack of effort, definitely something that you can kind of see um, more in the U-Heart game than the CCSU game. That first half against Central, I think, is just borderline not even worth considering evaluating this team. But um, it, should be, it should be pretty interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I don't really have a great sense of how this game's going to go either. I think it could be one of those games where UConn is kind of trailing for the entire game by 8 to 10 and just can't really close the gap, or it could be a back-and-forth affair. I feel like it's a pretty big toss-up just because of how early it is in the season and how much we really don't know about either team. So I, I'm really just looking forward to seeing – how the two teams stack up to each other and hopefully it'll be a good game more watchable than the central game and really the UHart game was too so just 
as long as UConn keeps improving, that's more important to me at this point than wins and losses. Yeah, it'll definitely be an exciting challenge to see UConn take on, especially, again, with what we're expecting out of guys like Booknight uh, and Whaley in terms of taking a step up. Um, I mean, uh, shoot. Oh, something to just think about with this USC team is they were definitely a good team last year, but at this point, um, they're counting on a lot of new pieces as well. So they have a little bit of the same challenge that UConn does. Um, I think they have a little bit more of an established kind of culture and stuff going on there with the team. They've got Andy Enfield, engineer of our favorite NCAA tournament upset of all time uh, with Florida Gulf Coast over Georgetown. But uh, he's been there for, for a while. And I think they have a little bit more of that, that aspect of it together, but still relying on a lot of new guys to, to play key roles and starring roles. Um, Edie himself is a graduate transfer in addition to the freshman bigs that you mentioned, Dan. So, um, right. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. It's kind of the motto of college sports and really anything this year, but um, excited to see UConn taking on a, a high major opponent and uh, hopefully finding another game as well before they start the Big East slate. So something that they're, they're looking for. We know they've got NC State on the schedule next officially, uh, but they are looking for a game, uh, uh, I believe, ideally on the 7th of December. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Here to help us add some more perspective on UConn's start to the season, as well as what the front court situation is, we are thrilled to be joined by former UConn Husky Jonathan Mandeldove. He is currently the varsity girls basketball coach at the Winchenden School, as well as diversity coordinator. Mr. Mandeldove, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. How are we doing today? We're doing excellent. Better now that you're here. Um, <laughs> what, what did you like from the first two games of the season? Did you have a chance to watch the Husky? Ah, I, I, I got a great chance to, to check out the new look team, but uh, the old feeling. Having, having the length in the front court um, is something that UConn has lacked far as depth is concerned due to injuries as well as transfers and, and, and things of that nature. And from, from my observation from the first two games that I've seen, um, I think we can go a, a long way with the front court that we have and then adding a cook, a cook, hopefully by um, the second, third, or third game of the Big East regular season, uh, you know, just adds on to the, to the depth that the, the team has and the versatility that the team has. Because now you're talking about putting Tyler Polly at the three and possibly, you know, having a front court of 6'9", six, 6'9", nine, six, nine, you know, 6'11", or 6'10", or 7' foot. I mean, you just pick your poison. Um, and I think that the freshmen that have came in and they're learning on the go, but, you know, I think Adam Sonogu, uh, if I said that correctly, um, I think he has a chance to be special. Um, you know, reminds me a little bit of, you know, a, a rugged of a, you know, Jeff Adrian, you know, uh, a Mecca Okafor uh, type of build. Um, and, and I think that with, with, with that type of build, it will help the Huskies be a little bit more physical in the front court. Yeah, we were saying, you know, Sonogo, when was the last time UConn had a player like that? You're saying Adrian, I mean, Oriaki comes to mind, but 
that at this point was a long, long time ago, right around when we were in school. You're uh, yeah. I mean, you're literally talking 10 years, you know, T 10 years of a physical presence where, you know, the Huskies have lacked. But I, I will say this. I mean, the 2014 team had a, a, a overall physical toughness that brought that team together. And that was the reason why that team won. So that, that team, without the true physical presence down low, um, took care of business as a unit. So, I mean, outside of that 2014 season, we're talking about 10 years where we haven't seen the physical toughness up front mm -hmm. that the guards don't have to take all of the, 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 the work and the brunt force of, of working mm -hmm. against, you know, the other team's front court. Yeah, it feels like it's been tough lately for teams to even build up strength and depth in the front court. Guys leave for the NBA, guys switch schools, things don't work out, whatever it may be. Um, so good to see that UConn's been able to find, uh, find something here. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Whaley's performance through two games? You know what? I, I would give him the most improved award. Um, I, I think he brings he, – he's finally putting the, the athleticism in the IQ together, um, it, it took him some time, and it, and it normally takes some bigs a couple of years or possibly even into their senior year uh, to understand the, the game and, and how they can contribute in ways of being efficient and not trying to do the experimental stuff, you know, during their senior year. Just, just grinding, putting their head down, and continuing to work. Um, I, I believe that he's going to win us at least – three to four games just off of his energy and passion and rebounding prowess on both the defensive and offensive side. You were part of a lot of really talented teams at UConn. Um, what's it like when you've got those first few games against some opponents that, you know, it's pretty well known you're going to beat them. Um, and in particular, you, you often have a enormous size advantage. Um, can you just share, you know, what's it like for the big men in those games? You're expected to kind of dominate. You, you do or you don't. Um, how do we make sure we read the appropriate amount into what we've seen through the first two games of the season? The one thing that I would take from these first two games that I would say is a great indication of where this team can go is the simple fact that um, our guards have really utilized our bigs more often early on than they used to. Um, typically within the first five to six possessions, we would see a lot of actions for the, for the perimeter players in the backcourt over the last four to five years. And now with these first two games, there's an indication of saying that, hey, we realize that we have six guys that can score in the front court. And we need to find ways, whether it be Tyler Polly playing inside out and being able to shoot the ball and, and, and being able to put the ball on the floor. Or it, it's just guys, you know, Adam Sanugu, uh, uh, my man um, that we were just talking about, uh, Isaiah Wiley, uh, Whaley, I'm sorry, not Wiley, Whaley, you know, getting some dump off passes and finishing above the rim. You know, those energy plays that those guys are, are, are taking care of, you know, it, it's going to be beneficial. And, and, and let me put this out there. I don't believe that we've seen the best Josh Carlton that we possibly can see. 
Um, that is a big indication right there for us as a, as a unit and as a fan base. There's, there's more to come. I think one of the bigger storylines coming into those first two games for UConn was that they had that 14 day quarantine period and then had less than a week of practice mm -hmm. before they got those two games. So how important is the preseason to getting your body ready to go for the season? And then how important just are those first couple games to really get back into the flow, like the exhibition games to get your basketball legs under you? You know what? It's, it's very important to have those preseason games because coaches get to see what type of depth that they have or they don't have and what type of IQ that some of the guys that have been working in practice, you know, doing the skills and drills. Because in practice, you can stop play. In a game, you can't stop play and correct a mental breakdown. And so with, with, with those preseason games being taken away, you've seen that guys had to really tighten up on their chemistry early and often. And if they struggle, it, it's, it's one of those things where they may not find their footing until the, the seventh or eighth game of the season. You know, and now seeing that we've seen the early success, and, and, and I'll, you know, marginally put it success, um, versus some of those lesser opponents, you want to make sure that, you know, last year and, and, and two to three years prior, we struggled putting away mid to low major teams. You know, those teams were coming in there like, hey, I got a shot. I have an opportunity. You know, we got a scare with Central Connecticut for about, a, you know, a third of a game where they were toe-to-toe -to -toe with us. And then we started to eventually utilize our size and pull away. But you know, it, it takes, these are the games where they have to learn how to pull away, how to stay away, and how to make sure that teams understand their role as far as them being, you know, underneath a UConn Huskies team. So I, I want to get back, you, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to bring up Sonobo again. He obviously did really well against a really small Central Connecticut team, faced a little bit more size against UHart, still did pretty well. But now he's going up against more quality opponents, whether it's, you know, the two bigs from USC that we'll talk about later uh, or when we get into Big East play. What was that adjustment like for you when you went from playing those cupcake schools, uh, for lack of a better term, that weaker competition to, you know, banging down low in the post with, with some of the big men in the Big East? Was that a huge adjustment, especially as a freshman? You, you know what, as a, as a freshman, you're, you're kind of like wide-eyed, you know? So like every opportunity is given to you is a brand new opportunity. Um, so every objective that you're trying to cross off that list, you know, it's, it's brand new. So for the young freshman from Javante Brown Ferguson to Adam Snugel, you know, to even Richard Springs, to Richie Springs, who's, you know, who's a, a redshirt freshman. Every opportunity to get out there and, and, and do what they need to do versus lesser talent or greater talent is just going to be a determining factor of how well they're going to succeed in the, in the year. You know, some guys are going to get it early and often, meaning that they're going to be okay. They're going to be comfortable with the play calls. They're going to be comfortable, you know, rebounding versus like size. They're going to be comfortable, you know, scoring over their right shoulder, left shoulder. And then certain guys, they're going to meet a wall because sometimes they don't get to touch the ball four, five, six, seven possessions. And, and that's when the, the learning curve comes into play as far as being an upperclassman or, you know, 
second year in or third year in. And I think that when you play the lesser talent as a freshman, it's just to get your feet underneath you and, and, and let you know that some of those lesser talented guys, you know, are older, you know, they're juniors and seniors. So with, with that being said, it helps out with the fact that, hey, I bang up against Hashim to beat in practice, but now all of a sudden I'm going up against six, eight, six, seven, and he's not Hashim. Oh man, I can wait, you know, I can do some other little things, you know, against him. You know, so like a guy like a Josh Carlton, I, I hope and pray that he's putting that force of pressure on him. You know, Isaiah, he's putting that pressure on those guys because they've been through it, you know, more than more than often than some of the younger guys that are in. You know, a cook, a cook, when when he's able to practice. Same way. I mean, he was counted on a lot last year as a freshman. Last question here. You know, this time of year is also really critical for figuring out who your key guys are, who are the people you can count on, who, who ends up, who's going to get the bulk of, you know, those bench minutes or time in the rotation. Can you just share what's that, you know, what that's like as a player? There's, there's multiple people vying for kind of those similar roles. How does that shape up with the team? And, you know, for someone like Dan Hurley in practice, right, he's clearly running really intense practices. What, mm -hmm. what goes on in that, in that, um, in that scope in terms of the competition for playing time? You know what, during that time, you go from fighting against each other um, to start the season out to the middle part, I would say the middle preseason, uh, you know, getting the chemistry and camaraderie and hopefully, you know, you start to build this love-hate relationship with the coach and coaches. And then the season starts and then guys kind of morph into – these guys like I, i'm going to cheer for the guy that's in front of me because i hope and pray that he does the same thing when i'm out there being successful you know i, I hope that he's talking to me when i'm not being successful you know for, far as the upperclassmen is concerned you know that that's the thing because the landscape changes throughout so the guys that you don't see play right now the Richie Springs and the Fer and, and, and Javante Brown Ferguson's, you know, probably within the next, within game number 11 is all of a sudden getting 14, 15 minutes here and there and starting to creep in a little bit more. And guys like Isaiah are starting to go from 22 minutes, 23 minutes, 24 to about 16, 15, 14 minutes because of the, the, the natural death that the, that the university has. And I think that, you know, that bodes well for, for a young crew to have an older veteran crew above them, to allow them to see the mistakes that the veteran crew is making in hopes of when they go out there, they're like, hey, mentally, I don't wanna make that mistake, but physically, I have to give it my all, regardless of mistake or success. Excellent. Well, that's all from us. Thank you, sir. We really appreciate you taking the time. Folks, that was Jonathan Mandeldove, currently the head varsity uh, girls basketball coach at the Winchenden School. Uh, feel free to follow him on Twitter. What, what are you at, Coach Dove32? Uh, yes, sir. And, and girls Winchenden on, on Twitter for the, for the Winchenden Girls Hoops basketball page. Please support. And uh, I look forward to the, to the Husky Nation um, being successful. Can't wait. It's going to be an exciting game tomorrow. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your night. You as well.
that's going to do it for the basketball segment of our podcast. But up next, we've got some hockey. It's actually a preview of our podcast that we have at the Yukon Hockey Hub, which is a new premium Yukon men's hockey site that we recently launched. All the same people that covered on the Yukon blog, but we're making it bigger and better than ever before. So if you subscribe to the Yukon Hockey Hub, you get the podcast every single week. So here's just a short preview of this week's episode. If you want more, go to patreon.com slash Yukon Hockey Hub. Hello and welcome back to the Yukon Hockey Hub podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Amon Kidwai. We've got a lot to talk about this week, even though there was no games last weekend. So Yukon series with Maine was canceled after the University of Maine canceled or postponed all athletics through December 8th. Because of that, Yukon couldn't find a new opponent like what happened with UMass in the opening weekend. Yukon wanted to play someone. They were trying to set something up and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. But the good news is they are back this weekend. So they're going to play one game against BU at home on Saturday, 2.30 puck drop. UConn won't sit too long on the sidelines. And for the advantage that UMass had against UConn in the opening series where UMass was more prepared, they were in better shape, they were a little more fine-tuned, I think UConn should probably have that advantage over BU this weekend because UConn's played two weekends. They've had pretty much two weeks of practice after that to work on everything that they saw on tape from the UMass series. So even though BU may have some tape that they can review on UConn, I think UConn still probably has the upper edge, especially in one game. Like we saw with the UMass series, UConn took an entire game plus an extra period just to get its game legs under them. So in a one-off game, I think UConn really should be controlling this game and have the upper hand just based on the fact that they've already played. Well, they only have the preparation advantage, but obviously we know BU is a really talented team, always really good in Hockey East. So how do they match up against UConn? Well, I think of all the Hockey East schools that are in that upper tier, UConn's actually had a lot of success against BU historically. There was obviously the game that stands out in my mind was the 2017-18 season where they came back from down two goals to beat BU in overtime as part of that wild win streak that they had that season. And then even two years ago, that rebuilding year UConn had, the Huskies still took a game from BU late in the season and came very close to keeping their playoff hopes alive at BU, but couldn't quite do it. I remember, this was probably way back my freshman year, there was the game or the day where UConn football was playing at BU, or BC, sorry, and hockey played at BU that night, and hockey kicked the crap out of BU. It was like a 4 or 5 nothing win. It was all UConn fans in a Gannis Arena, and then last season, UConn swept them too. So I think of all the top-tier schools in Hockey East, UConn's probably done the best historically against BU, at least in the last few years. So BU hasn't played an entire game this season. Has anybody in Hockey East? Who else in Hockey East is playing and not playing right now? Well, there's only been four Hockey East games, including UConn's two against UMass. UMass is the only team that's even played two series. They played UConn in the opening weekend. And then last weekend, the only men's game that went on was them against BC. So BC beat them in both games. Those are the only Hockey East games we've seen so far. This BU game obviously wasn't even on the original schedule. So it's been a very, very bad start for Hockey East, especially considering 
the schedule was released three weeks ago. It's not that wasn't a whole lot of build up time. So you'd expect at least at this point in the season things would still be on track and it's gone completely off the rails. So it's gonna be a crapshoot for a, a while unless hockey's changes what their plan is. Yeah, I mean it's gotta be so tough for the team and the coaches to be really yanked around like that constantly scheduling wise. Um I'd have to imagine it's really hard to build consistency. Uh, we know that there's a number of new pieces on the team that they're trying to figure out how they fit in and, and losing that opportunity. Um, and, you know, even as of right now, as we're recording this, who knows if these, this weekend's games even happen. So it's just so much up in the air. And um, as you mentioned, just not even a, a number of teams within Hockey East, not even playing. Some of the schools have shut down. Uh, athletics. So uh, definitely a, a, a dicey time. And then also for the team, uh, a little bit of change roster wise, as they'll be losing a couple players for a little bit. Yeah. So UConn's obviously been known to have the Russians on their team throughout the early portions of Hockey East. They're going to be a little short on Russians in the coming weeks because both Vlad Firstov and Jan Kuznetsov are away from the team right now. They're in Russia for the World Juniors camp. So that's gonna put them out. It depends on how things shake out, at least through the end of this first half, through the BC weekend and into the holiday break. It could possibly stretch depending on if they make the team, how far Russia goes if they make the team, and then just how much trouble both of them or one of them has in getting back into stores and back into the US and every quarantine rule that comes with it in these weird times. So it could stretch as far as the first or second weekend of the second half, which would bring them back in like mid January. I think the likeliest scenario if they make the team is probably they miss that opening weekend of the second half against UNH, assuming that's still the game that happens then. You can't say no to it, obviously. There's never been a NCAA player that's played on the Russia World Juniors team. So this is a huge part of their development and it's something you can't say no to, but at the same time, I can't imagine UConn staff is happy they're going to be without these guys for a little while. Right. That's that's clearly two key players uh, in Firstov, who's a forward, and uh, Kuznetsov, who's a defenseman. Losing those players for, for weeks, who's going to have to step up with, with those guys out? I think they're probably going to have an easier time replacing Kuznetsov, just because they have a lot of defensemen, and he's hasn't to this point shown in his career that he's better than anyone else they have. I think he's right in line with the level of talent that those that sophomore class of defensemen have. I think a lot of it's going to depend on health because they were down two defensemen in that second game against UMass. Carter Berger was out with a non-COVID illness. John Spetz was out with an unspecified injury. So if they can get one or two of those guys back, then they'll be able to replace Kuznetsov in the lineup and then also maybe have an extra guy behind him. I think they'll be fine and be able to manage without him. First off, I think is going to be a little trickier just because I don't know how much depth that they have at forward. So last weekend, they had everyone healthy up top, but in the second game, Mike Cavanaugh switched Mark Gatcom, who was in the third line, made him the extra skater and then activated Eric Linnell and Linnell's a sophomore, but through 15 games, he's yet to record a single point, which isn't a great sign from a forward when your job is to record points and score. So I don't really know how I feel about their forward depth. They've also got Gavin Pushkar, 
who's a freshman, when he committed back over the summer, the report on him was that he is coming straight out of straight out of a prep school. So he was probably going to need to bulk up and add some muscle to be able to play at the college level. And when you remove the summer workouts that he would have had, which is very strength and conditioning focused, you remove a normal preseason. The guys were stuck in their rooms quarantining a ton. So I can't imagine he's had a ton of time to really get in the weight room and start bulking up to be ready for the level of physicality that comes with college hockey. So I'm not sure if the staff wants, doesn't want to put him out there because he might not be physically ready and they don't want him to get hurt. I don't know if maybe he's just not ready to play at the college level yet. It's just hard to tell where he is because he obviously hasn't been on the ice and we've only gotten to talk to Mike Cavanaugh one time. So that is still a bit of a tricky scenario. And then another guy that they have for depth, John Wojciechowski, he's been listed as a forward the last few years he's only played in a handful of career games so he's been inactive most of his career the two line charts against UMass he's listed as a defenseman so I'm not really sure where he stands and at the same time you probably don't want to be relying on a guy that has three career games under his belt as a junior in college so I'm pretty concerned about how they're going to replace Kuznetsov because I think they're thin in terms of they have their 12 guys that I think are pretty solid. After that, I'm really not sure where the depth is. Yeah. And then first off, we know to be a a contributor, someone who you predicted to be one of their leading. What did you predict for him in the last podcast? You said it would be the leading assist guy and potentially even lead in points, right? I think I said he was going to lead in points and then possibly be the lead in goals. He could compete with Turnbull for the lead in goals. I think that's less of a possibility now. Just if he misses four or five games and you only end up playing like 20 games, it's a big chunk of the season. But yeah, I think he's one of their better and more consistent forwards. So one of their better goal scoring forwards, because you've got guys like Yakum Kondalik and Kale Howarth and Zach Robbins, Brian Regali, who are historically have assist, put up a lot of assists, but don't score at the way that Johnny Evans or Carter Turnbull or, first off score. So just losing one of your better scorers always hurts regardless of the depth that you have. Yeah. And then, like you said, ultimately this is good for the team. They have good players. Um, And it means you, you want guys to be missing time to go play in international competitions for Russia, one of the best, you know, countries (laughs) at the sport. And I think there have been, there have been guys, I think guys may have missed time in the past in previous years for um, team USA development camp uh, and other international competitions Certainly, you know, the, the line of they'll come back stronger and more competition hardened, but also just in general, again, a, a good sign of the talent level at UConn because obviously Russia is a top flight team and we, they will get those players back. Just speaking of world juniors, Tage Thompson played on the U.S. world juniors team and he was pretty good for UConn. So that's the type of talent that's playing in world juniors. You want your players going up against the best competition and they're definitely going to get that and it's going to be a different environment for them so it's only going to help their development even if it's going to be a bit of a negative for UConn in the short term. Right and then especially let's just pretend uh, there'll be something like a normal regular season schedule and a playoffs or whatever you know this is the early part of the season it's a it's a good time to miss in the grand scheme of it we can we can maintain that that perspective as well. they will be getting some reinforcements, though, um, and this is something that sometimes happens in, in college hockey. It sometimes happens in 
college basketball, but we've got a mid-season edition expected, and we are have reason to be somewhat excited about it, I am told. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't expecting this at all, but UConn's going to add Ryan Teverberg right after the Christmas break. If you're not familiar with him, he originally committed as part of the 2021 class. He only committed a couple weeks ago, so he's only been a part of the program in some capacity for a little while. He officially signed his letter of intent, so UConn did announce him recently. The thinking behind it is he's pretty objectively UConn's best recruit in that 2021 class and really he's probably one of the better recruits that they've gotten in their hockey east history he's really really good he was originally committed to harvard but just because of all the uncertainty that's going on with covid and the fact that the ivy league specifically has been very hesitant to play sports and has been the first to cancel in the spring they've been the first to cancel in the fall and in the winter so he wanted to go somewhere where he felt it was a better chance he could play next season So because the NCAA granted a blanket waiver to all winter athletes, he can come in, get his feet wet, get acclimated to the program, and then when next fall comes around in the new season, he's still going to be a freshman and is still going to have those four years of eligibility. But he's going to have 10, 15, who knows how many games under his belt. So I think it's a really exciting proposition. It really helps that depth that I talked about before and it's always exciting to get a midseason acquisition, especially someone at the talent level of Teverberg. Yeah, I mean, going from Harvard to UConn, he can also expect to receive a much better education. <laughs> so he has that to look forward to. And um, I think, well, what's your, what's your prediction in just in terms of how productive he could be for the team this year? Is it, like you said, more like just trying to get him out there a little bit and see what's up or, you know, someone who is a high-level high enough talent that he could be like an instant impact? kind of guy potentially yeah it's a little tough for me to try and figure that out just because I obviously personally have never seen him play and who knows just how much of an adjustment it's going to be I don't know how much he's been able to play recently because of the pandemic he was supposed to play in the BCHL and they delayed the start of their season which is also part of the reason he's coming here so I think it may take a little time for him to just even get his legs under him because he hasn't been in preseason with this team. He's never played with any of these guys. All these guys have been together for at least at the very, very least a couple months to this point. So I know the coaching staff thinks that he's definitely capable of making an impact this year, even if the focus is put to next season, I think it might just take some time. I don't think he's going to come in at Christmas and then suddenly he's going to become the team's leading scorer. But Mm -hmm. I do think he can be a solid, maybe second, third line guy it's all kind of flexible with UConn anyways Cav never really organizes it that way but I think there is a lot of depth at forward so I'm not super certain who he would bump out but if you start having to talk about you're not sure who this new shiny rookie is going to come in to replace I think that means you've got the program in a pretty good spot Mm -hmm. yeah I mean a a line two or line three forward that would be incredible for a guy who uh, did not expect to be on the roster. Nobody expected to be even on the roster this year. Right. So that's, that's a good sign. And um, well, or this is a good time for him because now with uh, first off out, there at least is some extra minutes uh, available for him. So at least he'll probably get some of those as well, I would anticipate. I just don't know how much overlap there might be with that because at most I think first off is going to miss that first or second weekend 
of the second half. And unless Teverberg is really, really good and special and just comes right in and is clearly capable of playing, I wouldn't expect to see him that first or second weekend just because of the learning curve he's going to go through. And then you throw in the fact that he's going to have to start balancing school too. And that's something that doesn't really get talked about enough with hockey is that a lot of these kids graduate high school and then go off to play juniors for one, two, three years. And the adjustment back into the academic part of playing in college is pretty tough. So obviously he has to be a smart kid if he was going to go to Harvard. So I don't think it's necessarily that he's going to be struggling with it, but it's just another thing that he's going to have to deal with. I think maybe those first two weekends, you'll see him as part of the inactives. And then by the time first off comes back, I think that's when he might start cracking the lineup. Okay. But I mean, if he's in before that, that's a really good sign then.